What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Hey, I would like you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is going to be the main text that we're going to be. Uh, We're taking a break from the book of Ruth this week because I felt led just to do this uh, Christmas message. And uh, so I'd love for you to uh, turn to the book of Luke to follow along. Um, uh, Nick, if you could throw up the first picture of the three wise men. Um, here, here's the situation for today, right? If there's going to be kind of a main theme that I want you to walk out of here with, is because these wise men, they were focused on heavenly things. And when they focused on heavenly things, they kind of had a heavenly perspective. And having that heavenly perspective fixed upon the stars caused them to leave everything to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, bring it all the way to where the star was and give it to the king at Bethlehem. And if we are going to be The kind of people that God has called us to be, we have to switch from an earthly perspective to a kingdom perspective. We have to say kingdom of God and basically a kingdom culture where the king of kings, he rules everything, that that kingdom comes in and whatever is in our culture, whatever is in our, thing, our, our life, our world, that doesn't line up with the kingdom of God, it has to go. It has to go. Kingdom over everything. Jesus is the king. He has a kingdom. And until we walk and live in a heavenly perspective, we're not going to move and live properly. That brings glory to God. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world. It should be registered. Luke 2, 1. Luke 2, 2 now. This was the first registration when Canarius was governor of Syria. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. I want you to understand this, that this was not an exciting thing to do, to take a long trip and go register to the town of your family's origin. But this is what Joseph and Mary did. I want you to understand as well that the Roman government was oppressive. They were just horrific in how they treated people. In fact, they had an unjust law that Jesus actually spoke to in Matthew 5, where he says, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two miles. There was a law that was set up for the Jews that if a Roman soldier saw a Jew, he could make him, according to Roman law, carry his stuff for one mile. Jesus, looking directly at that injustice, tells his followers to say, not only go one mile, but go two miles. And sometimes I get concerned with how people view things. Uh, Understand the type of oppression we're talking about back then is nothing to what people are dealing with now. 
Let me make my point here. In 4 BC, the Roman general Varus, he broke a revolt in Galilee where he crucified 2,000 Jews. And he placed their crosses on the roads leading into Galilee. Think about this for a second. You're going to Galilee to visit grandma. And on the road, every 50 yards or so, you see a Jewish person hanging on a cross, dead corpse, birds on them, stripped bare, And you are walking under that kind of oppression. Imagine that for a second. And these were the Jewish people living under that kind of iron fist, if you will. Complete oppression, complete discrimination. This is what Jesus came into. This is what Jesus came into. Horrific. Horrific. And despite this injustice... Despite this oppression, God sovereignly moved Mary and Joseph from Nazareth, where they were, all the way to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. Let's continue on. Luke, four, Luke 2, 4. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, again, we're in Ruth, so so as you guys have been following along, why was Bethlehem called the city of David? Because Ruth met a guy named Boaz. They had a son named, what's his name? Obed. And then, wish I was, yeah. Jesse's girl, anyway, old school. And then, and then, and then King David came from Jesse. So because of the obedience of Boaz, and because of what happened there with Ruth and Boaz, that lineage, Bethlehem became known as the city of David. And Bethlehem also means house of bread. What is Jesus? Jesus is the bread of what? Heaven, the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And so I want you to, to just jot down this, Micah 5.2, please. This is a prophecy. And by the way, a prophecy is something in the Bible that said, hey, this is going to happen before it happens. And then when it happens, you know, okay, wait a minute. I guess this God of the Bible knows what he's talking about. So 400 years before Christ was born, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, was completed. 400 years before Christ was born, all of these Old Testament books were written down in Hebrew, not only in Hebrew, but translated into Greek. And so when we read Micah 5.2, understand this is a prophecy that was written declaring where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. That's why if you read the book of Matthew, it talks about King Herod. He questioned the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Hey, where is this king going to come from? And they actually pointed to Micah 5 too. Let me go ahead and read it for you. But you, O Bethlehem, who are little 
to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Another translation, a shepherd of Israel. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Ancient of days. There'd be some of them born, that's from of old, from ancient of days. Yes, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the ancient of days would be born in Bethlehem. And so, understand this, in this oppressive state, God sent Jesus as a vulnerable baby. He moved the parents 80, 90 miles so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem, so this prophecy would be fulfilled. And by the way, Jesus has fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, things spoken about him that came true. This is why we know that Jesus is God, and there is no other God. I would like to say this as well. If you could put up the picture of Nazareth, Nick. A lot of times, not not that one. That one. Actually, go ahead and put up the other one, I guess. i got to explain what that is. What is that? So there's a church that, and this is, this is what I'm saying here. We become so culturally relevant, and we try to fit, fit kingdom stuff into our narratives at times when they don't fit. This church... Because the, the policy at the time was separating children of families. They did their nativity scene like this and said that Mary and Joseph were refugees. And if Jesus was born at this time, they would have separated Jesus from Mary and Joseph. Now, number one, no. Mary and Joseph didn't do anything illegal, Okay. They registered. Did we not read that in Luke chapter 2? They registered. Okay, so, so anyway, this, this, this is what I'm talking about. A lot of us try to take stuff in the culture, and we try to, 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 to plant the Bible, the Bible into it. No, 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 no. The Bible is above everything, and all culture needs to come into it. This is a big deal. This is part of why Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, in the next one, please. Here is the cliff in in Nazareth where scholars believe Jesus, was his hometown was going to throw him off the cliff, and he kind of walked through the crowd. It's a big cliff there, but that's Nazareth, and Nazareth to Bethlehem is some 80 to 90 miles, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because this trip under an oppressive regime, Joseph and Mary submitted to, and it just wasn't going through the state of Florida. There was a lot of up and downs. This is Nazareth. It was up high, and they had to walk 80 to 90 miles, okay? And so that's really important for us. This was a grueling, grueling trip, but they were submitting to the laws of the land, even though it was unjust and also inconvenient. Let's, let's go to verse 6, please. Luke 2. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. You want to highlight no place for them at the end? Understand these, these swaddling clothes, right? Uh, scholars believe that these are ripped pieces of, of clothing and garments that were uh, just put around baby Jesus because of the poverty that Christ the King was born into. Also, he was placed in a manger, basically a feeding trough where animals uh, would eat out of, Christ the King was put in there. So the humility of God, the vulnerability of the, and the poverty that Jesus came into this world to, under injustice, under oppression, he still came. He still came. And he was born in a place where animals were, in a barn, because there was no place for them. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus was welcomed in, Mary and Joseph, they were welcomed into Bethlehem. But they were not given a prominent place in Bethlehem. They were pushed off to the side. And a lot of people, a lot of people, and maybe some of you here today, you've welcomed in Jesus but you're not giving him the keys to the whole city. You're not welcoming in into every area of your home, every area of your life. You're just like, hey, Jesus, you can stay in the garage. And so we don't want to judge the city of Bethlehem because if we really, really invite the Holy Spirit, we realize, hey, we do some of this stuff too. He's the king, and yet he gets pushed to the side. Verse 8. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out at the fields, keeping watch over the flock at night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were greatly afraid, highlight afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. You could also put good news of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, the first thing that you see there, all people, all people, everybody. Even the oppressors of Rome that were oppressing the Jewish people at the time. He came for all people, all mankind, everybody. He came to save everybody. This is really, really good news. It's just not some people. It's also the people that were oppressing the people of Israel. And man, this is really good news. It's really, really good news. Now, <clears throat> here's a question for you. Christian, do you proclaim the good news about Jesus with great joy? Think back over your week now. Don't think alone. Invite the Holy Spirit in because you can't think without him. Have I walked around this week proclaiming the great good news with a joy? Is that my perspective? Is that my mindset? Most of us, including myself, don't. We don't. 
and we don't live consistently with a heavenly perspective as a way of life. Can I, can I get a witness? Yeah. And it's okay. You're in the right place. There's a cross that paid for that. But in order for us to begin to walk like we should, proclaiming this good news with great joy, we kind of got to look here first. And we've got to say, okay, God, why, why, why sometimes is, am, I, am, I, am I dealing with the fear of man? Why am I dealing with the fear of man? Why is it that I feel like it's a have to rather than a want to? Why is it that there's this good news that's just bubbling up in me? I want to share with great joy. Hey, this Savior, he's come in. He can change your life. Look at what he did for my life. Look at what he could do for your life. And there's this passion. Why not? I want you to turn to Colossians 3, please. Let me just lay at your feet. The reason why is we don't walk with a heavenly perspective. We don't walk with a heavenly perspective. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says this. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. So the command here is to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Then in verse 2 it says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Can I just be honest with you? Part of the reason my earlier years in ministry was not what it should have been is because of this. I went to youth conferences where the person was focused in on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says, I become all things to all men that in order that I meet, reach some. To the Jew, I become Jew. To the Greek, I become Greek. Now, what is wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that, but here's what we do wrong with it. We get so consumed with the people and the culture and we're not passionate about God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the worship and the adoration of God. We so care about what they think. We so care about fitting in. We so care about, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but what I'm saying is it doesn't really measure up. What I'm saying to you today is I pray God would raise up a church that is so heavenly minded they could actually be earthly good. We are called to bring heaven to earth. We are called to set our mind on things above, not on things below. We should be people that are beholding the glory of God so much so that it changes us. I want you to understand. I want you to see this here in the passage, all right? The angels, they came out of heaven with a heavenly perspective. And when they came, they came with great joy. They came with good news. It was really, really good. And when they came, what happened to the shepherds? What is the word I had you highlight? They were afraid. They were afraid. 
They were afraid. Listen, children of Israel, Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. He's beholding the glory of God. He comes down, and Mo has got the glow, and the people are like, no, they're afraid. They want to put a veil on him because they couldn't even look at the face of Moses. Imagine us, the church, being so enamored by the glory and the majesty of God, so enwrapped, if, if that's even a word, by his wonder, by his majesty, by his glory, by his goodness, that it really doesn't matter what you think or how you feel. And when we begin to walk like that, it'll put fear in people. Because the angels came like that, the first fear. And here's, here's the reality for the church of Jesus Christ. Here's where we are usually. And I'm including myself in this. I'll come right down here. So I'm with you. Thank you, God. I didn't break my knee right there. Oh, man. Oh, I can't do that stuff anymore. Because I'm so focused on here, now, I, I'm afraid. There's a fear of man because this is my kingdom. This are the people I'm trying to impress and trying to fit into. You are the ones that I really want you to like so that I'm moved by your responses, acceptance, and rejection. And fear of man gets in. The angels, they came with a heavenly perspective. They came with that kind of mindset. And when they came, man was afraid. Because we don't live in that realm, most of the time, we're afraid. Let me say that again. Because we don't live with a heavenly perspective, we are afraid. I want you to close your eyes if you want to. Some of you with uh, submission to authority issues, you don't have to. You can keep looking at me. And I just want to read this to you, okay? Revelation 5, 11. It says, then I looked. And try to, try to imagine this. Try to imagine being in front of the... A.W. Tozer says this when he prays. He says... Before I open up my mouth to God, I try to imagine myself like a little ant in front of God's glorious throne. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, countless number. Again, imagine yourself, you're just one of them. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He gets it all. He deserves it all. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped. The king is here. The king is here. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to walk with that kind of perspective. I pray, God, for your kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven. But help me to get familiar with heaven to behold your glory, your ways, your kingdom values, to seek your kingdom first, God. May we stay in that place so that we can bring good here on earth. So, Father, I pray Revelation 5, 11 through 14 just wouldn't be something that we would read, but we would live in that reality in Jesus' name. Amen. I have had times, especially during fasts that I've done, where I've been so overwhelmed with God, in the presence of God, joy overflowing out of me, passionate for the good news. And I realize there is a direct correlation with my worship, with my adoration, that lines up with my awe of him, my worship of him, and setting my mind on things above. There's a direct correlation. I wish I lived in that place more often. This is why Jesus and, and, and John said this, the Father is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the natural outflow will be you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you try to love your neighbor as yourself without Loving God first, you're not going to love your neighbor. Especially when your neighbor rejects you. And so here's an action step that you can apply to your life. Christian. The next time you're overcome by the fear of man, just don't act like it's not there. Uh, just don't repent. You know, I, I, I repent, God, of the fear of man, right? And then you just keep going. But actually, say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for the fear of man. I just want to stop right now. And I want to begin to worship you. I want to begin to adore you. I want to begin to fix my gaze upon you. I want to set my mind on things above. And I tell you, if you stay in that place for a few minutes, don't do that while you're driving, though. If you stay in that place, the presence, the glory, 
the focus of God. You walk in awe of him. And what will break out is a compassion for those that do not know him. And you begin to move because you've come to bring good news. And it gives you great joy that somebody who is trapped and enslaved by whatever can be free. Somebody that's hopeless all of a sudden can meet the one who can give hope. And things change. Things change. So it's my prayer for you, Christian, that the next time that fear comes, just like the shepherds were afraid, you stop and let that be a trigger to begin to worship and adore our great God and the majesty of our great king. Amen? All right, Luke 2, 11. Luke 2, 11. It says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. And I want you to highlight the word Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I want you to highlight Christ the Lord. So you see two different names. And if we're being honest, church, a lot of us and most of us are good with Savior. But we're not good with Lord. We understand that this good news, it brings us great joy because we know that we need a Savior. We know that we have sinned against God. We've broken his commandments, and that's why the Bible declares in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. Sin means to miss the mark, to miss the mark, meaning if there's a bullseye, That little spot in the middle, you should hit that every time in your life, and nobody does that. Sin is missing the mark. The mark is perfection. That is God's standard, and we've all broken his commandments. And because we break his commandments, we become people that are broken. And our brokenness, we bring brokenness into other people's life, and it just continues. Broken people create broken systems. Psalm 14, 2 says this. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of many man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Nobody seeks after God. That's what the Bible says. Together they become corrupt. There is no, there is none who does good, not even one. All of mankind, Scripture declares, none of us are good. And so at this time, uh, Nick, if you could go ahead and show that video that just describes the gospel in a, in a pretty clear way. You know, the reality is all of us live in this broken world. We only have to turn on the news to see suffering, death, war, disease, addictions. It's everywhere, isn't it? But this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design, a world full of love, joy, peace, and unity. And the way that we've gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And these sins separate us from God. They, they throw us into brokenness. And brokenness eventually leads us to death. And this death will separate us from God forever. So people try all kinds of different things to get out of brokenness. They, they might try drugs or alcohol or 
chasing a career, money, or bullying other people, or relationships. But none of these things ever actually fix the problem of brokenness. In fact, it's like a bungee cord. We just get snapped straight back again and again into brokenness. And ultimately, if people die in that state, separated from God, well, that's a permanent state, eternal. That place is often called hell. But God didn't want to leave us in that place. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to make a way out for us. Jesus came down to earth to put an end to our brokenness. In fact, he willingly entered into our brokenness to restore God's perfect design. How did he do this? By living a perfect life, Jesus took our place in death and died on a cross as our sacrifice. And God saw this as acceptable, allowing Jesus' sacrifice to account for our brokenness. So it canceled out our sin. Jesus crushed it. But three days after he died, he rose from the dead. And by doing so, he made a way out of brokenness for us. God said that if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us, we can leave brokenness, be buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised, we too may live a new life so that we can grow in a relationship with God and be restored back into his original design. Then we're able to go, to be sent, just like Jesus was sent back into brokenness to help others come through him to pursue God's design. We can become like new creations. We are like a new person in Christ. So there are really only two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are pursuing God's design and people who are still in brokenness. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we? And I'm wondering, where do you think you are and where would you like to be? So if you're here today and you've never decided to turn and to believe and to begin to follow Jesus, putting your faith in him, again, we'll have people up, up at the front here at the end where you can do that. But the reality is uh, most people have done that and they are believers. But there's a term that's used a lot in the church uh, that's called unbelieving believers. And that phrase comes from the fact where Jesus, I'm good with you being the savior of my life, but I really don't believe in you enough that you are my Lord. I don't believe in your goodness enough where I can surrender my life completely to you. But you see this word here in verse 11, a savior so we know we need somebody to die for our sins, but man, Christ the Lord. I want you to keep your place here. Turn a few pages over to Luke 6.46, because the same Greek word is used here. And I really want you to get this. And Jesus is speaking to us, really, his disciples, his people, and he's saying this. He's asking this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And let me just say, it's because, Jesus, you're my Savior, 
but you're not really the Lord of my life. And listen, my, my, if you were expecting a fluffy Christmas message, this ain't it. And I want you to, if you would please, for the time remaining, I want to deal with this. Because we flippantly throw the lordship of Christ around as if you're some super Christian when you get to that. No, he's Lord. He's Savior and Lord. Lord. And so today... I believe most people have not come under the lordship of Christ as believers. So it's one thing to believe that he's Lord. The demons in Mark 5, when they saw Jesus coming, they said, we know who you are, O son of the most high God. What have you come to do with us? It is not our time. Not only did they know he was Lord, son of the most high God. So their doctrine was really good. But here's the deal. Just knowing something about someone doesn't mean you're worshiping. They did not want him to be Lord. In fact, what did they say? Can you cast us into the pigs? We don't want you, and we don't want to do anything with you. We're not going to come under your rulership. We know who you are, but we want to live our life. Church, listen, this is, this is a big deal. This isn't another gospel. There's one gospel, but lordship's never talked about. So what a better time, Sunday, Christmas. Why? Because my goal, my only job, is to get you to live your whole life bowed down to King Jesus, where you surrender completely, and you say, I don't want to be king anymore. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. And the reason why we don't is because we don't view lordship from a heavenly perspective. We, re, we look at lordship like, what is this going to cost me? And that kind of mindset is so flawed. So I'm going to go through this lordship stuff. And I want to talk through it because I just don't want people flippantly doing something like religious stuff. And at the end, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up and pray a prayer. Now, if you don't mean it, don't stand up. Or if you feel uncomfortable, like if somebody sees me sitting down, I'm going to then stand up, but just don't pray it. Because we're not playing games here. I really, really want you to experience all the leadership of Jesus that you can, but if you don't trust him, if you're not worshiping his majesty, you'll never surrender to him. And you have to have that heavenly perspective, setting your mind on things above. You have to be just enraptured by his glory, about his goodness, about his greatness. And when you look at the different things of your life compared to who he is, man, let me drop my nets as quick as I can so I can get all in with this king. And I want him to rule and reign in my life because I'm tired of ruling and reigning my own life. That's the poverty of spirit. 
Blessed are the poverty in spirit. They believe they can't do nothing. Theirs is the kingdom. So the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do is that you invite Jesus to be Lord of your mind, your attitude, and your mental health. Your mind, your attitude, and your mental health. What do you mean by that, Chris? Scripture says this. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that testing you can discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it, it also says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a lot of believers that are unbelieving believers because they don't believe the written word of God. And the written word of God is not above every thought, every attitude, and everything in your mind. There's a mixture where there's worldly philosophy, worldly doctrine, worldly mindsets, and it's a pick and choose. My mind. God, I want to think your thoughts. I want every thought that I have to line up with the word of God. And when it doesn't line up with the word of God, I've got to punish it so that it obeys the word of God. I'm taking my entire life, my entire mind, the mind of my life, and it's going to come under the lordship of Christ. And see, here's what happens when that happens. So a man thinketh, so is he. So as I set my mind on these things, all of a sudden, my attitude changes. Though God is not in a bad mood. You are. Because your mind is not under the lordship of Christ. God's never in a bad mood. He's never worrying. He's never afraid. This is why we've got to be people that set our mind on things above. And so I'm going to ask you to pray that with me today. And, and listen, let me just say this. Lordship and praying this and asking God, yes, I want to do this. You're still going to fall short. And that's called discipleship. Discipleship is this bringing my whole entire life under the lordship of Jesus. That is a never-ending process as you're being changed from glory to glory. I need you, God. I can't do this apart from you. I'm going to ask you to pray and invite Jesus to be Lord of your will and your decisions, all of your decisions. All? Yeah, all. All. But I want to marry her. It doesn't matter what you want to marry. You know why I got my queen? Because I was like, oh, for 30. And I said, not my will, but yours. I'm not smart enough to pick them out. I got a big track record of that. So I'm done. Not my will, but yours. Boom, the queen. It's over. Thank you, Lord. But see, we can't trust God. We can't trust God for that. Like, like, come on, bro. This is what I'm challenging you with. He's Lord. Every area. Lord of your, all of your, 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 your will. See, Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, he said, Father, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, yet, yet, yet what? Not my will, but yours be done. I want your will, God. 
I want your will. When you get in that time where you're like, oh, God, I really want to do this, but you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. And you begin to call on him, asking him, be Lord, be Lord, please. He's going to move upon your heart. I'm going to invite you today to ask Jesus to be Lord of all your emotions and all your reactions. Emotions and reactions. Well, I'm so angry at this person. Well, is Jesus angry at them? Jesus, how do you feel about them? Where worry and fear and anger come that we just release that to God and say, oh God, I'm, I'm giving this to you and I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to hit back. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to move out of emotions. I want to move out of your emotions, God. And let me get in touch with that. I want to come under your will. What about your body, your physical health? Those of us who like working out, you love this verse. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? We love that verse when we like to work out. But when we don't like to work out, hello. God, you're in charge of my body, my physical health. My food. Ooh, did he have to say that one? Yeah. Look, I don't like that one either, okay? But that I would obey you. That I would obey you. That you would invite Jesus to be Lord of all of your worship. The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, that you would invite Jesus to be Lord in your family life and all of your relationships. That you're not going to be moved by, listen, parents, please don't do child-centered parenting. That's a worldly philosophy. Your kids need to learn how to obey and to do things they don't want to do, to respect and honor authority, whether they like it or not. Why? Because you're getting them to the place where the lordship of God and them coming underneath it is how they're moving. That's why you're parenting them. And so God, come, be the Lord of my family and my relationships. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my sexuality and its expression. And some of us are not at the place where we've allowed him to do that. That's why Jesus, he talks about You've heard it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, and everyone who looks lustfully at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to use one of your members, lose one of your members than your whole body to go to hell. Jesus is talking about hell connected with adultery because it's, it's serious serious and he's warning because he's loving and some of us have just keep dabbling on internet stuff and dabbling in this and dabbling in that and the reality is you have not surrendered that to the lordship of Jesus Christ and you're not willing to cut it off what about your work and your job Colossians 3, whatever you do in word and in deed, do it as unto the Lord. And you're not working in such a way that brings glory to God. You're working like everybody else, complaining about your job, 
doing a halfway job, showing up late, doing as least as possible, looking at the clock for yabba-dabba-doo time, rather than being a person that goes the extra mile, not for your boss because you're a man-pleaser, but for the glory of God. What about your needs? Apostle Paul got to the place in his life where he said, I'm not speaking of being in need, but I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, to be content. And some of us believers, we are not content. We're just like the rest of the world. And I'm going to invite you today to ask ask God, please, Lord, be, be the Lord of that. Possessions and money and finances, you can't serve both God and money, Jesus said. The, the time of your death and the manner in which you die. Some of us, we still are afraid of that and we're not trusting in Psalm 139.16, which says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The day that you're going to die, it's already determined. Do you trust the Lord with that? Do you trust him with that? And what about your time? What about your time? Ephesians 5, it says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So with our time, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And I want to say this in all love. The whole world right now is collecting toys to give to kids that might not have toys. Is that a good thing? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. In fact, today, we're partnering with another ministry called Angel Tree. Those kids have a parent that's in jail, and there's toys that are going to be given. But I want to just say this to our church. Our kids don't need no more, more toys. You know what they need? They need a mentor that will walk with them for two hours every other week in our mentoring program we have. And this is part of us saying, wait a minute now. Let me not live like the rest of the world, but let me really understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, make disciples. Am I doing that with my time? With my time. So... I'm going to walk you through this prayer. I'd like you to stand up, please, if, if you would. If you don't want to, again, you don't have to. And I want you just to repeat after me. If, if, if you really understand, right? This, we don't want emotional responses here. That's, that's not good. We want people to move with sincerity. And, and, and if we hit a statement like, your finances, and you really, really are not wanting that to come under the lordship of Christ, you don't have to say that. We don't want you to be fake. You might want to say, I need to come up afterwards. Will you pray for me? Because I love money more than I love God. And that's okay. There's no condemnation. God wants to free you from that. So if you feel led... I'd like you just to repeat after me, okay? Lord Jesus Christ, 
I acknowledge my sin and my depravity. I acknowledge my need for a Savior, which is why I placed my faith in you. But now, with all sincerity, I desire to bring every area of my life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my mind, my attitudes, and my mental health. I invite you to be Lord of my will and all my decisions. I invite you to be Lord of my emotions and all of my reactions. I invite you to be Lord of my body and my physical health. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of all my worship. I invite you to be Lord of my family and all my relationships. I invite you to be Lord of my sexuality and all its expressions. I invite you to be Lord of all my work and my service for you. I invite you to be Lord of all my needs and all my possessions and finances. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my time. I invite you to be Lord of my manner of death. And my time of death. I release this all to you. And I come under your Lordship, Jesus. And we ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if we prayed that. And we meant that, and in our heart, we really, really want God to do that. Let me just tell you, what a beautiful gift to give our King Jesus. And also, we're going to experience an amazing revival break forth. Because no more will we walk with a mindset that's flawed anymore. You know, when my kid was little, he wasn't ready for the Legos that were little. He had to play with the bigger ones, right? Because he would have ate the little ones. But I remember one day, Daddy, Daddy, come here, come here, come here. And he took those big blocks, and he made it real high, and he's standing next to it in his little diapers. He said, look, I... Look how big it is. I'm like, oh, wow. You know how you do that to the kids? Like, oh, that's, that's horrible, actually. No. You got to meet them where they are. That's why we all lied. Anyway. Does this dress look good on me? Oh, yeah. Anyway. So, so. Merry Christmas, guys. I 
I, again, we've all sinned, guys. It just is what it is, and you know what I'm talking about. So, 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 looking at that thing, this is who. This is how we are. This is how we are. This is how we are. We're like my my son there, all enamored by what he built, and we're like Lord Jesus. I'm going to build something for you. I'm, I'm going to create this out of my own life. And we forget that we're talking to the God. And this world was covered in darkness without void. And the spirit of God was hovering over it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And we still see it today. That's the God who speaks with one word. And so when we begin to quit operating out of our own will, out of our own mind of what we can build and what we can do, we're like little kids playing with Legos when we got the creator of heaven and earth who just wants to speak one thing, one word from God can change your whole entire life. And this is why we need to be people that walk with that heavenly perspective and stop playing with Legos. And thinking we're doing something. We are walking with Emmanuel, the most powerful being in the universe ever. And he is with us. And that's why we've got to set our mind on things above. Worship team, come on up. Let me end with this back in Luke chapter 2. It says, and suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And they were praising God. They were worshiping and adoring our great king. And let us fix our gaze upon him now. And let's give him what he deserves as Savior and Lord of our lives. So, Father, we love you. And we worship you. We adore you. We kiss towards you, Jesus. And Lord, we can't surrender and come under your lordship apart from you. So we surrender our surrender and we ask that you would help us, God, to walk under the lordship of Jesus Christ all the time in every area. And let this be a gift to you, Jesus. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.